I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I'm Luke Story, and you are listening to a very special bonus rebroadcast episode of my recent appearance on the Get Over Yourself podcast. In this wild ride of a conversation, we talk about my youth of rebellion, the rock and roll lifestyle that almost killed me, and my eventual awakening into sobriety, biohacking, natural healing, meditation, and spirituality. We also talk about how to envision yourself having what you desire with great clarity and also a deep acknowledgement that you deserve it. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, and I trust that you will be inspired to take some of what you learn and apply it in your own life. Before we get into this conversation, man, I need to invite you to my brand new course. It's the EMF Home Safety Masterclass, and you can find that at lukestory.com forward slash masterclass. I spent months preparing this epic online course. It's over five hours of content. And it's only $149. It is uh, an over-delivery, to say the least. So if you're someone who's been concerned about 5G, EMF, how to fix your Wi-Fi router, how to protect yourself from your various devices and still use them, this is the course for you. So again, go to lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass and get yourself enrolled. I've also got an amazing upcoming event to invite you to. I'll be again at Cuixmala in Mexico for the Healing Power of Energy Retreat, August 14th through 21st. You can get yourself in that retreat by going to lukestory.com forward slash events. That's Cuixmala, Mexico, August 14th through 21st, where I will be recording a bunch of podcasts and live streaming with the other speakers there. It's going to be insanely cool. lukestory.com slash events. All right, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation. You guys enjoy the ride, and I'll see you on the other side. We are going with this fabulous Luke Story studio. Thank you for setting everything up, man. I came into the firestorm. We're cranking. We're, yeah. on, we're on your live social media feeds, which adds that extra element of live energy. I, you know what? I like to live stream the recordings because it adds kind of an element of, um, I don't know, pressure might be a bit heavy handed, but it's, um, it's, it keeps you on your toes because you know people are watching in real time. So I always live stream my recordings on my podcast because I like to also show people the behind the scenes of when things go wrong and the dog barks because UPS comes or the battery dies or something weird happens. I think it's it's kind of fun to just kind of be on the on the edge there by having people watch in real time. That's right. It's the um, competitive intensity. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I like to talk about. Yeah. So I, I stumbled upon your podcast, The Lifestylist. Go listen to it, people. It's pretty fantastic. And Thank I got you. drawn in. And the one thing that uh, really attracted me was you come off as very authentic and easy to relate to and what we kind of feel you when you're in these interview settings and you're, you're putting forth your personal... Uh, interaction with the, with the guest. And it's like everyone wants to do that when they're listening. And then you say, well, what if I'm not manifesting the right things in my life? And then uh, it, it's, it's really fun to be on the, on the listening side of that. And I said, I want to talk to this guy. We got a lot, we got a lot of things, uh, common interests. 
And so I, I wrote down a few that we, we could probably hit, but I also like your uh, most unlikely journey to this extreme health enthusiast, biohacker guy, but from that past life in Hollywood, and you referenced that you had some struggles and some craziness. So how did all that play out to where you are today, testing the, the cutting edge of, of healthy living? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just uh, doing a post uh, two days ago on Instagram. And I, I honestly just, sometimes I realize like, ah, oh, shit, I haven't posted today. And so I just, I'll go through my phone and find like an old picture. And I'm like, all right, how can I make something interesting out of this? So it's not just, you know, shameless self-promotion, but I found a picture of me on a horse that was from this resort I went to in uh uh, Mexico called Cuixmala, this really great place where I went and recorded a podcast about that place. Um, but I was thinking about something to write. And then I just was like, oh my God, I was flooded with all these memories of being a kid and traveling around the uh, the Western United States with my dad, who was a rodeo cowboy. And we used to go on rodeo tours. And I had a horse, this black horse named Lonesome. And uh, you know, um, we'd, we'd go around and be listening to eight tracks of country and Western music. And uh, and I was thinking back to that time and then people were commenting like, wow, God, I never heard you talk about that before. You've had such an interesting life. And it's hard to see like your your own life because it's anytime you think it's interesting, it feels like an ego trip of like, wow, I've had such a crazy life. But I think everyone's had an interesting life when you get to know them. But the arc of my journey has been pretty wild because um, early on, I had kind of the dad out doing the cowboy hunter, fisher, outdoorsman thing in Colorado. And then my mom, she hates when I call her a hippie because she says they didn't shower in the 60s and she did. She's technically more of a mod. But, you know, there was like incense and, you know, yoga and meditation. And she listened to rock and roll and was very like California, born and raised in Berkeley. And so I had the influence kind of from both of my parents. My mom um, more into things that were socially conscious and um, spiritual and things like that. And my dad was really a man of the land, like living off the land and, you know, pretty rugged guy. So I had, I think now looking back the best of both worlds in terms of influence from both of them and learned a lot, but because I experienced just, uh, I guess what could be summed up as a lot of trauma as an, as a kid, just due to different circumstances, just abandonment and, different forms of abuse and just was had a rough childhood basically. And, and as a result, kind of became a juvenile delinquent and got addicted to drugs and was just a little wild man as a way to cope with these things that I had experienced. And um, so I got sent away to a really crazy boarding school for a couple of years that sort of straightened me out a little bit. But then I came out of there and moved to Hollywood shortly after. And uh, that's when I was 19 <laughs> and just went completely crazy and, you know, started playing in rock and roll bands and, uh, you know, hanging out with all sorts of sordid people in some pretty shady places and situations and just got really eventually very wrapped up in drugs and alcohol in a really destructive way. And when I was 26, I got sober and, um, Still am. I'll be 23 years in February. Wow. And um, yeah, something I'm very grateful for. And so I, I got really involved in addiction recovery work, um, you know, put myself in treatment and all this. And when I came out, um, I started to realize how not only was I spiritually sick and really mentally sick in terms of just not having an ability to deal with my emotions in a healthy way and just had a really negative mindset and was just really damaged you know, spiritually and emotionally, but also on the physical side, I was really toxic and very malnourished and, 
you know, I pretty much lived on beer and pizza and, you know, every other drug that I was doing. So um, I started researching detoxing and I got into, this would have been like the mid nineties. So I got into infrared saunas and colonics and uh, making kombucha and Chinese herbalism and acupuncture. Um, oh, your monologue uh, goes on for a good four minutes and 28 seconds. There's all the stuff you got into in the yeah, very yeah, first show. Yeah. So you got to go listen to yeah. his very first show. Episode, I forgot that <laughs> I did that. I don't know if that was off the top but, of your head. You probably had to type it up, but it was like, it, it blows you away. It was, it was, it was, a, it was beautiful. A, it was a manuscript, you know, so it was technically like bulleted out. Um, that particular part I definitely had to read, but that, you know, I want to just kind of summarize the story because it could be a really long one or a short one, but in the interest of time, uh, you know, it's motivated by pain and suffering, had a spiritual experience at 26 that led me to really get into recovery and, and working on meditation and, and enlarging my, my spiritual life and getting to know the concepts of Eastern mysticism and different spiritual practices and meditation and all of this stuff. Um, but then the physical component is what eventually led me into what's now referred to as biohacking, where back in the day, it was more of um, anti-aging and alternative medicine and things like that. It kind of the same stuff, it just had a different name. And so that was the late 90s. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And um, while I was really kind of rebuilding myself from the ground up physically and in, in all of those other ways, I ended up, um, I was playing in bands and things like that. And so I didn't really have any education or skills. So I was working as a waiter. And then I ended up just through a, a bunch of somewhat random circumstances working for a fashion stylist, which is someone who uh, dresses celebrities and models and things like that. And it's Hollywood and you know it's a gig you can get. So um, I started working for this woman and uh, we worked for Aerosmith and all these huge you know, music artists and things like that. And that became my day job. And I did that for 17 years working in Hollywood. But all that while I was getting, you know, going to India and studying meditation and, you know, really getting into alternative healing. And, you know, we could go on for hours and hours on all the shit that I have been interested in. Um, and have tried different modalities of healing everything about you. But that was like in my private life. And I helped other people and worked with, um, you know, guys that I coached and things like that on the side. But I never did anything professionally in the health and wellness space until I guess it was about four years ago. And I went and did a talk um, uh, at, at Vent that my friend Neil Strauss, who's an author, he put it on. And I talked with, um, you know, Jack Cruz was there and Ben Greenfield and David Wolf and, um, you know, some kind of big Daniel Vitalis and uh, some people like that, that were the guys that I followed at that time in terms of the health world. And Neil let me come do a talk because I kind of helped him curate that event and get in touch with a few of those people. Because uh, it was like his first kind of biohacking mastermind thing that he did for his group um, that's called The Society. And I did a talk there and um, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> people really liked it. And uh, I got a standing ovation, you know, when I went into this talk and they they asked me to come back. I think my talk was on Friday, right before David Wolf. I was really nervous. I'd never given a public talk about my things that I do in private, you know, because um, I'm just this fashion Hollywood guy professionally. So I did the talk on Friday. I got a standing ovation. They liked it so much. They asked me to come back on Sunday. And I'm like, what the hell? Like I'm here speaking with all these guys that I really look up to. And I got really great feedback from the other speakers. And at that point, I decided um, with the encouragement from Neil and a couple of the other guys there that are like, dude, why aren't you doing what we're doing? Because I was just like fanboy 
to all those guys. And a couple of them were like, you could totally be doing what we're all doing and make this a career. And I thought, oh shit, really? And it was just kind of um, the the push that I needed to get out of the fashion industry and quit all of that. And I started my podcast. And so um, I came on the scene four years ago as sort of a newcomer in this world, but I had been doing all of this stuff for my own healing for at that point, you know, 20 plus years. And so now I've got, you know, 23 years basically that I've been on this journey and just really learning so much and growing so much and now have a platform where I can hang out with and interview all of the people that I've already been following and I'm, you know, a fan of and also discover so many new people along the way. So I feel like I'm just the luckiest guy in the world because I was able to turn complete abject failure and misery and self-destruction into a really beautiful life and then into a really great, fulfilling and meaningful career. Well said, man. That was, that's a wild story. Yeah, it's, it and, is. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, you think about... The, I mean, that's leaving out all the crazy shit, yeah, but just giving you an the, overview. The summary you know? of the crazy shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, those extremes, I wonder if those are sort of an innate personality attribute that are going to play out, not necessarily negatively, but like the, the great creative minds and the, you know, there's so many dyslexics that are Hollywood superstars or inventors or geniuses. And most of us, you know, a large percentage of the population are going to work from nine to five and retiring and, and taking vacations and eating a buffet on the cruise. And I wonder if this is you know, a, a personality expression that you're destined to pursue these edges and, and have these intense ups and downs? Or would you, I think so. would you if you rewound the clock, could you? Um, yeah, no, I think so, man. You know, it's just uh, when I look back on childhood and different things I've been passionate about or interested in, since day one, as far back as I can remember, I've been really committed and enthusiastic about whatever it is that I happen to be into at that given time. And there were times in my life where the things that I was very enthusiastic about were very destructive to my you know, body and spirit and moral fiber and also my relationships and finances and everything else. But I was committed. You, know? you had to go deep. You yeah, had to it's take like, it all the way. Yeah, if I'm going to do Luke, it. You had to stay out all night, not till 2 a.m., for right. a few nights, yeah, right. in a row sometimes. Um, but then as I started to get into, you know, get on the other side of it and kind of out of that dark shadow side and into recovery and really healing, if I learned about meditation and it's recommended that you do it 20 minutes twice a day, I'm in and I'll throw in another one and maybe I'll go 30 minutes, you know. I'm like, if twice a day is good, maybe three times a day is better. If 20 minutes is good, what happens if you do it for two hours, you know? And so... Everything that I do that is what would be on kind of the light or positive side, I think now um, is also committed in the same way and pretty extreme, which um, is an interesting thing to observe because it's easy to justify really obsessive behavior if it's quote, end quote, good for you, right? So it's like, how could you attack me for taking too many supplements or doing too many biohacking practices or modalities or doing too much yoga or meditating too much. It's like, it'd be like, I have an easy defense because, well, these are all things that are good for you. Why would I stop doing that? Or how could you do too much self-care? But um, I have had to be aware of the lack of balance sometimes in my life because I am so kind of obsessive about whatever I happen to be into, you know? And so now... 
um, without being too self-critical or judgmental, I am starting to have some awareness around like, wow, I'm really, I'm really quite ritualistic. When you, if you like put a hidden camera on in my house and just watch the way I operate during the day, there's a lot of time at the supplement cabinet, you know, like doing the same type of shit I used to do when I was right. a drug addict. Yeah. Now my drugs are just quicksilver scientific, liposomal, sublingual, you know, whatever's and all the shit that injecting uh, peptides in my elbow and just all the wacky stuff I get into every day. Um, it's definitely with the same degree of kind of obsessiveness. And so I've, um, I've had to look at that and just, it's not something I try to change or fight or be necessarily self-critical of, but definitely something to be aware of because uh, I'm also keenly aware of attachments, right? And mm. sometimes there can be attachments that are attachments to um, the past and a resentment or an attachment in an unhealthy way to a relationship that's codependent mm. or something like that. But there's also attachments to just rituals and habits and being obsessed and attached to the idea of like fixing yourself or something, right? Yeah, I'm and referencing so, uh, my time as an athlete where I was on the professional triathlon circuit for nine years. So my entire life was calibrated to peak performance and getting absolute most out of my body. So if anything disturbed that, it was kind of a, a stressful event in, in my psychology. So if I didn't get just enough sleep and I slept for half of my life during that time uh, for you know 10 hours a night and two hour nap every afternoon. But if everything anything was thrown off, like I didn't get the proper diet or the workout was off a little bit, it would become a disturbance. And I identify that as, you know, it's it's not healthy. It's not good for you. And I'm wondering, you know, as we as we learn more and more about what healthy living really is and what the dangers are, like the electromagnetic fields and this whole thing that you have a lot of content about on your show, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it could kind of turn into, uh, you know, a spiral where the more you know, the more <laughs> the more trouble and distress you bring into your life, rather than blissfully unaware of how, um, you know, the bright lights at night aren't good for you. You know, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, I'm I'm always trying to find balance between when it comes to environmental threats and things like that and just things that you eat that you, once you're educated about different, you know, let's just say I go out and eat and I, I know like they're using canola oil because who's using tallow in a fucking restaurant or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's like, well, how paranoid do I want to be about the chemtrails and the EMFs and the canola oil and all the things? It's, it's really hard to unlearn once you learn and you interview a bunch of PhDs about that the fact that cell towers cause cancer and you know it's not this isn't a conspiracy theory this is science and it's real and it hurts you and it's it's legitimate but then again there's some things that are totally out of your control you know and so finding a a balance of awareness versus fear anxiety paranoia because i think that living under a limbic system trauma loop kind of experience which i can fall into at times because i am aware of these things is double jeopardy because now you're having the exogenous threat of whatever chemicals in your food or water that you're trying to avoid. And then the environmental toxins and exposure to blue light and things, as you mentioned, um, now you're getting not only the exposure, but you're also having your nervous system being a, a sympathetic state because you're so uptight about your lack of control or your efforts to control your environment. So how can one be controlling of their environment and protect themselves and their family and loved ones without 
being uptight in that control. Like it's like a surrendered control. You do what you can and then you just let it go. And that's kind of the place where I'm always trying to swing the pendulum back into. Yeah. You know, I have a Wi-Fi router on right in that closet and it's it's just the only way I can operate right now. I'm live streaming. How else am I going to do that? I I don't own the house, so I haven't wired everything on Ethernet, although that computer is, and I do what I can and the Wi-Fi is on a timer so it goes off at night. Um I had a you can boot her off if she um you irritates you. Wonderful her. cookie dog um, here. You know, I had so. a guy come and install an EMF kill switch on my breaker box last night because I discovered a magnetic field right around my bed and I don't want that. So every night, you know, I click that off. So it's like there's interventions and and ways that you can mitigate some of that stuff. But then also if I travel or sleep somewhere else, it's just like I don't want to have that fear in my life and I'm just going to live my life. And last night I went to a great Italian restaurant right down the street, which is way too close. It's like, I live in this, you know, in this canyon, as you, you know, and there's deep not, in the Hollywood. There's, yeah. There's, people. there's nothing around here, but there is this restaurant called Pace, which is a great Italian restaurant that I used to be a waiter at um, a long wow. time ago. Incidentally, I was so brain dead from the drug abuse um, that they demoted me to pizza delivery boy. Cause I was not capable of being a waiter. I think I've come a long way there. I could probably pull that off now. Let's get this guy in a motor vehicle driving <laughs> yeah, around looking yeah. for. Looking and I had for a, this is pre GPS, so I had a Thomas yeah. guy, oh, you know? Yeah. And I'd be, uh, I tell like young people that, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, Never oh, mind. Yeah. I delivered but pizzas in the valley you did? when I was oh, yeah. an athlete. Yeah, so, that was so, my side job for a while. So I was trying to yeah. navigate the Hollywood Hills with the Thomas guide at night in my 83 <laughs> Toyota Tercel or whatever. But anyway, I went out to dinner last night and the guy's like, yeah, I ordered the sea bass and I got all the stuff that's kind of on my food program that makes me feel good. And he's like, do you want some bread? And there's that moment of truth. I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God, it's probably fortified with iron. If if the flour is not organic, it's got glyphosate in it. Even if it is organic, it still has gluten in it. You know, I'm, he's I'm pausing, running, waiting for yeah, the I'm waiters, running, waiting for the answer. This is a millisecond decision. And I'm just yeah. like, you know what, man, I'm having a good night and I really yeah. want some bread and olive oil. Like bring it on. And I crushed yeah. like three pieces of sourdough and it was delicious. <laughs> And I really could see my mind going, okay, now are you going to get the runs tomorrow yeah. or you know, have a flare up in your joints or some of the things that happen sometimes when I eat grains and things like that. And I was like, you know what? It feels good. I'm doing it. I had a creme brulee for dessert, crushed it. It was amazing. Um, and then I came home and just took some enzymes and stuff, you know, my gluten guard enzymes and you know, did a few things that'll probably help that digestive process. But it's just, you know, you got to live your life. So... You can you can apply an assortment of uh, outs here, like the the ingestion of the industrial seed oil is a hormetic stressor, so it stimulates an extreme antioxidant <laughs> response because it's poisonous. That's so funny. if you have it once a month, That's or funny. you know an ice cream binge or something, right. there's some there's it's it's like the you know the jumping in the cold cold plunge for a few minutes, hormetic stressor right right, right there on the list. That's then funny. get carried away with that. That's funny. Yeah. I, I, so I think in, in summary, you know, to your, to your original question, it's like how much of that kind of compulsive, obsessive behavior and that extremism has carried over from the past life into the current one. I would say a lot of it, uh, but it's also kind of my gift. And it's the thing that I have to share with people because I am the guy who's going to go so hardcore into everything that I can kind of be the guinea pig and find out what works and what doesn't and then pass that information on to people. So if, you know, I start microdosing psilocybin or LSD or experimenting... We'll be the first to hear like about that. it. Yeah, which, I, which I've done. And they say, well, you know, don't do, the, don't do them both on the same day. I'm like, well, why not? Let's see what happens if I do. And I do. And I go, eh, a little too stimulating. I can pass that information on. 
and someone can be less extreme in their approach and maybe be a bit more moderate. So I think I just always kind of um, push things to the threshold and I found a way to make that useful to other people. Um, you know, one way it w- would be like, for example, say you want to get interested in supplementation or nootropics or smart drugs or something. The scientific way to really test what's working would be to just stop all supplements and just add one thing in and do that for a week or two and really see if you feel anything, you know, positive or negative. Um, my method is more like do everything until I feel weird and and out of balance and then start eliminating things until I find the sweet spot of like those 10 things I take that morning or whatever, you know? So I never recommend that method to other people. I recommend to people take, if you're going to try a modafinil, don't drink coffee, don't do anything. Take a quarter of a modafinil. See how your brain reacts to it. It, it doesn't work for everyone. Um, and then if you feel like you found a good point with that and it's good for special projects or special occasions, then cool. Then try adding qualia and see what happens or, you know, paracetam or methylene blue or some of these other compounds that are really great for cognition or even, you know, microdosing nicotine lozenges. There's all kinds of great things you can do, but um, I just do them all at once <laughs> and see what happens, you know, um, but I don't tell other people to do that. I think that's a really dumb way to experiment actually, but because it's my body and my life and I have autonomy and I'm willing to pay the consequences uh, that come if they do, um, then I'll do it and I'll be the front runner that kind of tries everything out. I think it's likely that uh, many people are, are stuck in a, in a rigid pattern and unwilling to experiment or push the boundaries. So I think that is a gift that you know someone's out there Going to the extreme, you're going to write. A, you're going to write a book about it. I understand. Yeah, so yeah. I have the book's to called. Read. Yeah. The book's called "Take One for the Team." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it's called yet, but yeah, I, I think of it as it's going to be something in in the essence of kind of a field guide of spiritual practices and metaphysical concepts and ideas that have been helpful to me, and also some of the physical practices. I think a lot of guys have kind of covered the biohacking thing, so mm-hmm. I don't want to be redundant and put out like, you know, a, a book Dave Asprey's already put out five times or something. But um, but there is some of that in there. But uh, that's an, another thing too. For example, like with the book, we were talking a bit about that earlier. Something I did um, in 2019. Yeah, in 2019, I had in January and in December, so quite a few months apart, I went to Costa Rica to two different places and did some ayahuasca ceremonies. And it was extremely useful for me, just really beneficial in so many ways. And I thought, wow, this is really great, especially as someone who doesn't recreationally do drugs or drink or anything. I have an interesting perspective on how that might play into one's practice. But then I came back and was like, well, shit, I'm doing a book. I really want to try peyote and San Pedro (laughs) and psilocybin, which I've done a lot of mushrooms back in the day, but it was just like going to dead shows and stuff. It was not to as a, in a ceremonial, intentional way at all. And so that led me into tomorrow. In fact, I leave for Joshua Tree to go do a peyote ceremony for two nights with some um, a Mexican indigenous shaman. And um, you know that'll like go into the repertoire now because I can share that experience of what it's like and what the difference is between that and some of the other plant medicines and things like that. And I'll I'll probably in 2020 do some clinical guided therapy sessions with maybe MDMA or psilocybin or something like that. There's a couple of doctors I've talked to that do that. And that will be a great thing to be able to share with people that still struggle with depression or, mm. you know, trauma and things like that. So 
I'm just always kind of pushing the envelope to find ways to improve your life and so, figure out what works and what doesn't, you know? Is that the main goal of those? Uh, like, what would you call that category of mind-altering uh, agents to go back and examine the past? Is that Have you experienced that where you, you talk to the, oh the little God. kid that was neglected and have some reconciliation? Totally, yeah. totally. I mean, with ayahuasca, a friend of mine gave me a t-shirt. It's, you know, the DARE, DARE to Resist Drugs and Violence, that 80s the acronym. Yeah, cop cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, they gave me a shirt that's that, but it says, drink ayahuasca, remember everything. <laughs> Which is really what happens for me. When uh-huh. I take ayahuasca, I remember the, you know, these hidden memories that were really made an impact, um, in some cases negatively and in some positively. And those memories kind of come to the surface and then um, give you the opportunity in real time to kind of deal with them, like really getting down to the root causes. And so to me, the purpose of that kind of exploration is in building self-awareness and also in having the experience of hmm, the direct experience of consciousness itself without being so encumbered by thought and your personality and ego and body and all of those things, a way to sort of detach from that and zoom out a little bit, which can be achieved on the natch too with different forms of meditation and breath work and a lot of things that I also enjoy. But when you, um, for me at least, and I don't recommend this for everyone, it's, I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but it's been useful so far. But in those experiences, I've been able to kind of get so much spiritual work done because of the, the insights that you're able to access when that veil of this dimension of reality is pierced. And so you're able to see things within your own heart and your own mind and in your history and your past that would, I think, take a long, long time perhaps to work through and be able to uncover. And so for me, it's just about healing. In my most recent experience, I saw, for example, um, I've had a habit in my adult life in certain situations to be in relationships that are borderline abusive where I'm not treated with care or respect and I've stuck around in some of those, I mean, all types of relationships, business and romance and otherwise. Um, and I've stuck around for perhaps longer than would have been healthy or longer than would have been necessary to learn the lesson that was there to be learned. And, um, you know, I've had a difficult time in some situations, not all sticking up for myself and sort of finding my voice and just asserting myself and creating boundaries and just kind of drawing a line in the sand and expressing what I'm willing and not willing to put up with in any given scenario. And in that ceremony, I was able to trace back to some early experiences in childhood where I didn't have the opportunity to fend for myself or defend myself because I was a little boy and I didn't have the capacity to protect myself then. And in certain situations, unfortunately, there were no adults there to do that job either, which would have been the appropriate um, circumstance, right. right? You have parents, you know, caregivers that are there to kind of protect you from harm and no blame to them. That was just the way the circumstances worked out. And uh, so I was able to see so clearly, oh shit, I see exactly where that lack of ability to stand up for myself happened. And then sort of fast forward into my adult life now and see, well, yeah, as a little boy, I had no way to defend myself and stand up for myself. But now I'm a grown ass man 
And now I can do that job for the little boy that's still inside me, which is the one that feels afraid to confront people or afraid to stand up for myself or to find my voice. I mean, and that's just like, you know, that's a five minute thing that happens in ceremony. That whole like realization, which is a life changing thing because I came out of there like 2020 is the year of like, no bullshit. I'm just not, I don't have time for any drama or anyone in my life that isn't loving and supportive. Um, in any capacity at all. And um, where it might have taken me five months before to kind of realize, no, this isn't really working for me, this business deal, this relationship, whatever it is. Now it's like a five minute thing. I was like, nope, nope, not into it. Done. You're done. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like not wasting my time. And I don't know. I could have achieved that perhaps in therapy. I've done a lot of a lot of therapy and a lot of weekend kind of and week-long retreats and intensive things, the Hoffman process, on-site, Tony Robbins. I mean, I've done, anything I find that is good for you and He's helps you it. grow, I do it, you know? Um, but I have to say for me, again, only for me, I'm not like a plant medicine advocate or anything. Um, but for me, just that experience of being able to get to the root cause of that, but not just to intellectually understand why that behavior pattern is in place, but to actually go in there and do the work to break that pattern and then come out of that ceremony and be able to integrate that awareness and those realizations into my real-time life right now. We're in a situation when, yeah, when there's a boundary that needs to be created or something like that, that I see, aha, there's that pattern. Nope, stopping that right now and build you know, new neural pathways, really. I mean, using, Mm -hmm. talk about like neuroplasticity, really change the physical brain to where it doesn't have that fear response anymore to say aggression or abuse, but rather is like no problem being confrontational and taking care of myself. Yeah. You know, and there's just, there's tons of other things, but for me, like the value in the ceremonial use of psychedelics or plant medicines is really in doing that work. And the minute I drink that shit, my intention is like, all right, let's do this. I'm like, rub my hands. What do you want me to see? Let's heal. Yeah. Let's fix this. You're coming let's move into on. it with the right mindset. Yeah, let's yeah. evolve. And you know, if along the way I see some cool colors, you know, trip out a little bit and have a little fun, I'm not mad at that either because that has been part of my experience also. Of just like, oh my god, I'm like liberated from, you know, from the body and the, the your normal like the confinement of your senses in your waking state. Where right. you, uh, your your experience is limited to your physical perceptions, right? Yeah. And in in those situations, like you kind of drop the body, and you're in the space of consciousness, and able to access these other dimensions and ways of relating to reality that aren't accessible in your day to day life because you still need to function, you know. So it is it's it's an escape in a sense, but not an escape from like your problems or from your pain or your trauma, like doing coke or drinking would mm. be like that kind of escape, but. It's an escape from um, being confined to what your senses enable you to experience and work with. And so it's this non-physical realm where you can kind of swim around in and find things that need to be ferreted out and healed and worked on and, and reprogrammed or recontextualized, you know. But it only has value, I think, if you can come out of it and actually have something tangible to work with. Otherwise, you just saw some pretty colors and you know had some fun, and right. you know you wake up like, oh, that was interesting. I don't, I don't need interesting. I need change. Like I want to evolve. Yes, the same for a therapy session. If you're going in there just to tell your story again, and then yeah, you, totally. You leave and you're okay. Totally. Yeah, thanks a lot. I feel I feel a lot better right now until my next confrontation that I wimp out on. Right. Yeah. 
Right. So I'm, I'm reminded of um, Dr. Bruce Lipton's insights, Biology of Belief, where you're, you're spending 97% of the time uh, in programmed subconscious mode that you picked up from ages zero to seven. And then you're just playing that out over and over. Yeah. And that's a pretty heavy insight when, when it's validated by science and that we're walking around just in you know, reactive, triggered program behavior. So you're ex- expressing that ability to pull out of that doesn't have to be at a plant medicine retreat. And in fact, one of the one of my desired benefits of getting older, there's a lot of downsides to getting older, but one of them is you'd hope that you'd learn from past experience and identify, oh, here I go in the same pattern again of scattering myself or getting taken advantage of. Uh, am I going to do something different? Is the switch going to flip? We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I'd like to take a moment to talk about EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know this is a huge issue in our home environment and in the world collectively. In my opinion, this is one of the greatest threats to not only human health, but all life on earth. So I've done everything I can to mitigate the EMF in my house. And I've spent so much time and energy doing so that I decided to create an entire online course for you about it. It's going to be launching in a few weeks and I'm going to give you an opportunity now to get on the wait list and save yourself $100 on the course. I created this course because I'm extremely sensitive to EMF and I found this out the hard way by living unknowingly under two massive cell towers for three years. I suffered from insomnia, migraines, blurred vision, vertigo, nausea, I was sick all the time. It was a train wreck. And as you know, if you're a listener, again, uh, I'm a pretty healthy guy. I'm very committed to my physical health. And uh, these EMFs just wrecked me. So when I moved into this house, I made a commitment to make this house EMF free or as safe as I could. And as I started to do that, I realized, wow, this is a lot of work. So I went ahead and turned it into an online course. It's over four hours of content. There's seven modules and six bonus videos. It is extremely comprehensive and also entertaining. So we go through the house and we look at all the different sources of EMF from everything from a hairdryer to the you know, Wi-Fi enabled heater to the Sonos speakers, to the Wi-Fi router, the electric toothbrush, every biohacking gadget in the house. We even tested the flicker level on the lighting. I mean, it's a really comprehensive home assessment with Brian Hoyer, uh, one of the foremost experts in EMF mitigation. And by the end of this course, you're going to know how to discover the EMF sources in your home and how to fix them. It's pretty amazing. I'm really excited about that. So if you want to save $100 off the course and get on the wait list, here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. That's lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. Or if you have a US phone, you can text the word EMF masterclass to the number 44222. That's all one word, EMF Masterclass, to the number 44222. Get on that wait list. You're going to save yourself $100, and you will be the first to be notified when the course is released in the coming weeks. And now, back to the interview. And there's, and there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. And again, you know, I'll say, I, I think that those realizations can be achieved doing other things. I mean, I've had breathwork experiences where 
I cry and have heart opening and healing and realizations and all that too. Or in Kundalini yoga, man, I've had so many experiences that are mind and soul altering and able to see things that I couldn't see before and access portals of memory and see those patterns and break the patterns. There's a lot of ways to do it. I think just 2019 was a big year of taking something exogenously that affected me mm-hmm. in such a way. But I've been doing it on the Natch for, you know, right. 22 years before that. You know what I mean? Of just yeah. deep meditations and just different practices and things that also achieve the same thing, just kind of a lot slower. And it's also worth noting that I think the reason that I was able to benefit so much from those situations is because I had done a lot of work for 20 plus years on myself and don't have fear about going anywhere within my past. And there has been a lot of healing and a lot of therapy and all these different things to really go look at that where I was able to have the plant medicine experiences and be completely fearless and just go balls out and just, you know, I'm willing to look at whatever we need to look at here and I'm willing to feel whatever needs to be felt. And um, in some cases, it was just like experiencing joy and bliss and um, just beauty and love and just my heart opening. And, and sometimes it was like, cool, let's look at your childhood abuse. Fuck, here we go. But I'm used to it. I've looked at it before. I've talked about it. I've talked about it quite publicly at times. And so there's no fear. It's just like, all right, whatever needs to get done here, I want to heal and be um, feel like more whole and be able to be my true, authentic, higher self more of the time. And spend, what, uh, you know, spend less time in the part of me that's, right. that's not real, which is the, you know, the, the, the personality and the ego and, and all of those things, which yeah. I don't demonize those either because they're part of what makes us able to operate in the world without an ego. I'd be walking around with soiled shorts, you know what I mean? I mean, you got you to have an ego and a personality to kind of represent your soul and you need a body in order to do that. But if you live life thinking you're only a body and you're only your personality and your intellect and your, your skill set and your talents and all the things the ego can kind of co-opt and take credit for, then you have a very limited experience of life. But living life knowing that you are a soul that is having a human experience that mm-hmm. is being lived out through your intellect, through your ego and personality. And you can actually integrate those and have some level of maturity in that experience. That's when shit gets fun. Cause then you can like wear a leather jacket, but you know, it's bullshit. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or whatever your thing is, you right. know, you drive, you know, I'm 50. You know, I'm going to buy a Porsche. And it's like, I know I'm not that Porsche. It's just a fun toy to play with because my higher self understands how these different... um, Those people that are looking at me don't really care about me. Yeah, totally. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So it's like you have a little more freedom where you don't have to... um, I think what I'm thinking of is like the antithesis of being a renunciate where you become spiritual and like now Mm. I just have to wear a robe and I can't own anything Mm -hmm. and I go walk the desert alone. I don't... For me, my path isn't like that. The the more spiritually oriented I am, the more I am actually um, motivated to achieve more and mm-hmm. um, have more financial security and responsibility and be more of an adult and kind of handle things on the earth plane in a much more grounded way rather than actually just kind of floating off into the clouds and dismissing all of that as ego fodder. Right. You know, I think integrating all of it is really fun. Um, Deepak Chopra was put on the spot on 60 Minutes many years ago by whoever, Barbara Walters or something. And they said, look, you promote this spiritual message of, you know, you're a swirling mass of atoms existing on the planet. And, uh, <laughs> but we're sitting here doing this interview in your $7 million home overlooking uh, La Jolla. How do you reconcile that? And he said, 
the best thing about living in America is you don't have to apologize for anything. That's all he said. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> right on. Because we can, like we can get confused on, on all those levels. And I'm always referencing my athletic experience. And I was talking to Allison in the other room, another former athlete. And we were rehashing some of those old days where there was so much pain and suffering and ego on the line over and over again. And you're drawn into this world that's, that's really intense and can be uh, you know, a lot of fraught with peril where you attach your self-esteem to the results of what you're doing. And boy, to, to access that ability to kind of look, look from a perspective and realize that it's okay to compete your ass off and want to win and want to kick some butt against the other competitors. But then when the race is over, you go and you get a burrito and you, you sit around and relax and uh, you know, enjoy your day. That's when you're, I think, at your most powerful position. So just what you just verbalize, hey, you got some goals. I love your goals written on the wall there. Luke's going to write a best selling book. Get ready, people. Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it's you know, it's calling it in. <laughs> you know, what's funny about my goals is um, I'm on a recording hiatus right now in my own show because I'm working on these different projects, a retreat and a book. Oh, and thanks stuff. for squeezing me in, man. I yeah. So, it. no, yeah. it's, you know, I know you don't live here and um, you come highly recommended and whatnot. Um, but I put up these, all my goals on the wall, but I would never have them up when people come over. It's just, I was not expecting to have company, you know, oh, until... Oh, jeez. I'll, I'll no, no, it's fine. Yeah. It, no, no, no. It's it's totally cool. But there's something like... There's nothing embarrassing on my goals. I'm just, you yeah. know, they have numbers on them, you know, I'm like right there. Like I have, uh, you know, 2020, 100,000 per month net income. I don't think that's unreasonable, but I, you know, it's not something I would necessarily um, share with someone who just walked in my house, you know? Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter. Just funny. I, I share the same goal as a matter of fact. It's like I used to have, a, I, you know, now I, I do something called Mind Movies that I learned from Joe Dispenza where it's this website. You make like a little movie of a, like your vision board, right? Uh -huh. But I used to have vision boards in my room and I, they really work too, which is really bizarre if you know how to work with them. But I'd make these vision boards. And they would have, you know, a pretty lady on there and a house that I want and a car and then words of just like, humility, integrity, like things that I want to attain um, internally and externally and all of it, you know, things I want to heal in my body, you know, heal back pain, whatever. But I'd make these big poster boards and then get magazines and cut all these pictures and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I'd have it in my bedroom and, it, and you know, I'd be single and dating and I was lucky enough to have a young lady in my room, yeah. you know. Who's that? Why? Yeah, I'd get, she looks Asian. Yeah, I'd get so... You got a problem? I'd get so yeah. embarrassed. I was like, oh, never mind. Like what, you know, I don't want him seeing that or the number, you know, my number goals or what, you know, whatever. And so I used to get so embarrassed about doing it. So then I would like hide it under my bed or in the closet, but then I would never look at it. So eventually I started making a book. Mm. So I'd make myself rather than a vision board, a vision book. And then I, it was great because I could travel with that too. And I'd put it in my suitcase. And you mm. know, the idea with that is to put those things in your subconscious right before you go to sleep. And then right when you wake up, you know, that's the first time and you, you look over those images and those words and you, um, you uh, invoke the feeling that you would have as if they were already accomplished and all this stuff, very, you know, Napoleon Hill kind of stuff. Uh, metaphysical approach to uh, manifestation. But um, yeah, I remember those days of like being embarrassed. Also something that used to happen back in the day when uh, when you, you before the iPhone, we just had an iPod. I would have all these, um, you know, audiobooks of Wayne Dyer and Deepak and Eckhart Tolle and, uh, you know, probably Marianne Williamson and Byron Katie and all 2020 these president. Yeah. I, I'd have, I'd have all these, um, you know, spiritual uh, audio things. Cause I just, 
I've learned so much and been so transformed by just retraining the way that I think and, and, and interact in the world from constant repetition of those things. But again, I'd be on a date and I'd have it like playing in the car, listening to some music. And then all of a sudden it's <laughs> the, next, Eck, the next track. Yeah. Yeah. It's Eckhart Tolle comes on or, or like, you know, making out with someone or having, you know, an intimate moment. And you're like, I am made of blue sky and gold. Yeah. Light, you listen and to I some... will feel this way forever. <laughs> oh, you see me fly across the room. Ah, pause, you know, skip track. <laughs> so it just brings me back to the embarrassment of sharing kind of your inner goals with uh, people publicly. Well, there's some there's some science and so forth saying um, keep your goals personal because if you blab them out, then it's sort of like you you don't have to. Have you heard that? Like you don't have to really go for it because you're just going to go down to Starbucks and say, "Yeah, I'm working on a book. I'm working on a book right now." Blah blah blah. Oh, really? This guy's working on a book. You know, there's that school of thought. Then the other one is, you know. Share it with as many people as possible. Make it public. Put on your social media. I'm going to jump in my cold tub every single day. And I like to talk on my podcast to say, you know what, guys? I do this morning routine every day, which is really unique to me because I'm a free-flowing guy. I don't have any consistency in my life and I don't answer to anybody. But I do my morning legs and stretches every day. And then I jump in the cold tub every day. And I'm, I'm sort of... I have personal pride to be able to convey that in public and it keeps me accountable. So I guess you could pick either side of the coin there, but I think it's kind of cool. I've thought about that. Um, I think for me, sharing the goals, (coughs) I don't necessarily share them all publicly, but sharing them with friends does help me. Uh, Thank you. It helps me with the accountability of it. And also in terms of sharing them publicly last year, I had recorded all of this content, uh, video content, uh, while, while on a trip to New York. And just about how to biohack your hotel room and flying and really high value content because it's one of my passions is making travel great again. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna get red hats that say <laughs> Love that. Love it. Maybe no, I can't make them red. I'll probably get beat up or something. But um, yeah, making travel great again. And then I thought, no, it's about biohacking your travel. And I thought, shit, I have so much content here. I'm just gonna make it an online class, like yeah. kind of a lower price, but super high value packed video courses with like everything you can do to make traveling awesome. Electrical tape, your Yeah, all that shit. All that. Yeah. All the things. Because I've been fine-tuning this for so many years and I announced it. I made a landing page. I plugged it on my podcast coming soon and it just never happened. You know, and it's like, it's embarrassing because I publicly mm. like got people excited and I still get emails sometimes. It's still from in development. Like, yeah, where is that thing? And you know, I'm just like, oh God, I just, I need, you know, I need like an integrator or kind of online business manager that helps me complete projects like that because I'm a great starter and at times find um, you know the finishing part very tedious. Yeah. I just want to like be on camera and make content yeah. and have someone turn it into value for others and and I can uh, relate to that and income for me, you know, so line. the brainstorms are coming. But what I thought was if I announce this shit it's going to hold me accountable and it's going to make me do it and <laughs> I just I let go of the embarrassment of never doing it. And they're just like, eh, who cares what people think? Whatever, you know, it was an idea. I'll do it someday. Um, so I don't know what the answer is in terms of keeping your, you know, holding those cards close to your chest or not, what your goals are. I think it probably works both ways. I guess most importantly is that you're clarifying it for yourself. And yeah, yeah. some of the most interesting content you've put out is on that topic of uh, manifesting and to me, it's interesting because my my I guess my default starting position was to call bullshit because I'm you know 
uh, I used to be an athlete where they timed you and you finished and you either got first and won a lot of money or you got seventh and went home with your tail between your legs and you couldn't manifest your way out of that with some talky talky where you get promoted and the other guy doesn't like in the corporate setting. It was very, very direct. Uh, But then I realized like having a default starting position of bullshit means that I'm not going to manifest anything. And so then I continue to listen to the show. I don't know which one. There was a, there, you, you talk about this a lot. So yeah, I'd like to get your, your thoughts on that and kind of uh, ask people to have an open mind about this stuff, which a lot of people might think it's silly to make a vision board. But I know people that believe in it deeply. And uh, some of them are shit-ass wealthy because they called it into their lives. <laughs> you know what, man, is crazy about the vision boards is that if they didn't work, why would you have to make a new one every year? The reason you got to make a new one is because you got to scratch off so many shit that's happened. Like, for example, I got the Nano V over there. That used to be on my vision board. It's like $12,000. What is it? Uh, it's just this... Yeah, it's, it's, it lowers oxidative stress. It makes something called exclusion zone or easy water. And it's a mist, like a vapor that you inhale. And it's absolutely incredible for... Um, for oxidative stress, which of course happens from being alive, right? And so um, a lot of pro athletes use it and Mm -hmm. things like that, but it's quite expensive. And it's one of those things that, oh, someday I might get one of those. And anyway, I started working with them as an affiliate and had them on my podcast. And next thing you know, there's one sitting on my desk. I use it every single day. I love it. Uh, And then I had to scratch that off my vision board. And there's tons of things like that as well. Um, So that's just, you know, a a shout out to the vision board power, but in the in the world of manifesting and for the pragmatic mind and the one who likes data and science and you know is not in the woo-woo land of like, oh, I'll manifest it with a crystal. Uh, what I can say is that <clears throat> intention is everything, right? And so if we want to achieve something, we're setting the intention to have it. I think where manifesting gets blocked is when you feel incomplete or unfulfilled without that thing that you want and you have the erroneous mm. false belief that when you get that partner or when you uh, get that level of revenue or you get in that home, then you will be happy, right? And that's the real trap of the manifesting thing is getting caught up in the lower energy of desire where you're craving and lusting after something because you feel incomplete and you have this belief system that if you get that thing, then you're going to be satisfied. And all of us know someone who's very wealthy and miserable because they work their whole life focusing on status and significance and financial security at the expense, perhaps, of developing um, loving relationships and human connection and some of those things that we now know really allow us to feel fulfilled. So again, it comes to that balance of I have to learn how to be very grateful and satisfied with whatever life presents to me right now. So for example, right now we're in Laurel Canyon. I'm very grateful that I live in a canyon. It's a nice neighborhood, some nice homes around here. The home that we're in, I lease. I don't want to lease a house and pay someone someone else's mortgage. I want to own my own home and that's one of my goals. But if I can't learn the art of being fulfilled and grateful right here in this leased home, then what's going to happen is I'm going to buy that home. I'm going to think I'll be happy when I'm not paying someone else's mortgage and I'm building equity in my own property. But if I haven't built into my character and my consciousness 
the ability to be grateful for what I have. I'll get in that home that now I own or the bank owns, you know, uh, I'll be in there and I'll still be the same guy who's unsatisfied. And then I'll be in that home going, well, this is cool, but God damn it, look at my neighbor's house. I need to have that one. If I could just get that square footage or that yard or that whatever, then I'll be happy. And then I work my tail off trying to get that and I get into that house, but I'm still a person who's unsatisfied inside. And so with manifestation, there's two parts of it. One is, and I'm not an expert on this, it's just what I've been able to piece together. There's two parts is really learning how to make gratitude a state of being, not just a thing I do in a little journal for five minutes in the morning, but to really feel grateful for everything in my life, even experiences that I find to be unpleasant or even uncomfortable or painful um, and being grateful for the lessons that are provided by those experiences and really, really building into my practice of living gratitude for everything that is of going like, holy shit, I'm in this amazing house. Yeah, it's leased, but shit, I was in an apartment that was leased before this. Now I have a backyard. I have a little guest house. I have a garage. I have all this stuff. And that's just a material thing. But also sitting here with you and just, I'm so grateful that someone is interested in me and that you're going to be able to share my point of view and experience with your listeners and being grateful for that and just seeing my dog in your lap and going, wow, that's so cool. What a little loving creature I have in my house. And she gets to um, bring that warmth and that connection to people that come to visit me. And I mean, I can just look around and there's so many things internally and externally that I can be grateful for. And so having that allows me to have those goals on the wall that I want to manifest that I'm deadly serious about but I don't need those to come to fruition in order to feel what I'm feeling because I already know how to feel what I'm feeling right here. So I can be in a nice bigger house that I own. That's great. And I will, but I'm also so grateful and so satisfied with everything that I have now. And if I don't learn how to achieve that, then no matter what I get, I'm still going to be that same guy who's unsatisfied and is looking for the next thing. So that's the first part of manifesting. Yeah. The second part, and this is to me, the more interesting part is that What's preventing us from having the things we want, <laughs> and this is a bitch, because I see it so much in myself, is because of shame, because of trauma from some of the things that many of us have experienced early in life, or just even from our family, our immediate family, or our culture, or even our ethnic, ethnic I always get that word mixed up, ethnic, ethnicity, ethnicity, um, or uh, just the um, even epigenetics, even going back to our ancestors and this poverty consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Where for whatever reason, we feel like we're part of the have-nots and not the haves, and that we are incapable of or deserving of having some degree of success, whether that be in relationship, having a family, uh, something more internal, a state of uh, positive emotions even, and just being happy and fulfilled, or you know, owning that house or having that car or that, you know, be able to take those vacations or whatever our more physical material aspirations are, that where we get stuck is what our subconscious mind thinks we're capable of or deserve. And this is why I love the work of Lacey Phillips, who might have been the show that you uh-huh, listened to of mine, because where she really goes with this, and I love her for this, is that, yeah, you can visualize what you want all day long and you can have a gratitude practice, as I described earlier, of being really you know grateful in your life for what you have and then still working toward the things that you want. 
Um, but you can only achieve as much success as your subconscious mind believes you deserve. And so now it's Luke getting said into... said it was a bitch, didn't he? Now... <laughs> well, now it's this getting... Is, you're, you're punching me in the face now. Now it's... Yeah. to some of this. Well, there's another book called... Um, uh, the Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And he has this concept called the upper limit. And it basically describes what I'm talking about. And that is without even having um, a cognizant awareness of what our limits are, we have a threshold of happiness and success that we can't get past because we're not conscious of the limiting thoughts and beliefs that we have that are holding us back from that. How this plays out for me, and I this pisses me off so much, is I'll be. Uh, I love Thanks for our sharing. Though. I love Thanks for sharing. Bring it on. No, I'm being real. This is yeah. real shit. I really love architecture, and I really love design. I'm just I'm a very visual person, and you know, as I said, used to work in fashion, and um, I just really appreciate visual arts and great furniture and you know, beautiful homes. And we all like that. Some people more than others though. My dad, he likes nice things, but he doesn't really give a shit about like having a mid-century modern, what, you know, whatever. He's, you know, and he's this very successful guy in, in so many ways, including financially. But he's not really, he just likes a nice place. He's not that picky about how it looks. Me, like I'm really, in, I look at the architecture websites and design and I'm just really into that. So when I drive around, and, you know, like in the Hollywood Hills and I see a really cool home, for example, I'll have the conscious thought of like, oh man, that house is sick. I'd like to have a house like that. And then because I'm building a bit more awareness about that, you know, that self-talking negative mind or those limiting beliefs, they're starting to become a little more perceivable by me on a conscious level. Right after I have the thought of like, yeah, I want that shit. There's this little voice that goes, yeah, but Luke, you're a loser. Like... Those people, they're the smart people. They have the secret code of wealth. Like, come on, who are you kidding? You fucking dropped out of high school. What do you know? That's for those people. I'm not even kidding. And that's why I said it pisses me off because I have to get to the root of what that is. Where does that come from where I feel like I don't have what it takes to have that thing that I want and feel, I don't want to say deserving of because it's not a sense of entitlement, but it's just like, in reality, if that schmuck can do it, so can I. Right. And I know that consciously. But on a subconscious level, I've hit the upper limit where my consciousness is like this leased two-bedroom, 1,500-square-foot house in the Hollywood Hills. That's as good as it gets for you, Luke. And for you to want that thing is nuts. That's for those kind of people over there that inherited it or have a higher IQ or are just smarter with money or whatever they are that I perceive them to have. The only reason those people have that is because their upper limit is just higher than mine. And they believe that they can have that house that's really beautifully designed, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, whatever, you know, whatever. The kind of shit I look at, I'm like, oh my God, that they is... They probably don't even care. They're just there. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, you know, and people, when you meet people that are really, really wealthy, it... I think, you know, intelligence plays into it, of course, and talent and skills, but a lot of it really is just that they just believe they can have that life. And they just, they don't have that limiter in them that's like that little voice that's like, yeah, but you're not smart enough for that. Who are you kidding? You're a loser. Or if they have it, they're able to bypass it or ignore it <laughs> and just push past it, you know, get I'm lucky, sure, whatever. Yeah, I'm sure. Succeed we, despite their bad attitude. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we all have, you know, our insecurities and stuff. So when it comes to, you know, bringing it back to the manifestation piece, it's like 
the gratitude state of being, not as like a five minute little thing I write down. I'm grateful for, you know, my car. No, like living in my life, just going, holy shit, I'm breathing right now. I'm above ground. I win, <laughs> right? Yeah. Building that. And then in terms of wanting to manifest, really setting goals and setting goals that are kind of ridiculous. And then setting the upper limit of those goals to the point where I'm going to hit up against that, where I hear those voices that say, Luke, that's not for you. That's for those people over there. And then see that shit, get to the root of where that comes from, which is usually shame as a result of Mm. trauma and things like that, which is a whole other thing. Mm. But getting to the root of that and undoing that through the subconscious work and working on retraining the subconscious mind, which takes you into the realm of Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and these people that are working more on the quantum level, meaning that you're able to work within the physical world, but use your consciousness to bring about the non-physical into your current reality. So the house say that I want in Ojai or somewhere I would like to live that's out of the city that's $2.5, million that my mind says, Luke, losers like you can't have that. Um, the manifestation piece in that is being happy here, but using all of my energies and all of my emotions to feel into what it's like for me to already achieve that. So when I look at my mind movies or a vision book, I'm not just like, oh, that's a cool house. I like that. No, I'm picturing myself in the living room with my beautiful wife. My studio would go here. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm literally like having the experience in my emotional self where I'm feeling that gratitude and I'm, I can smell the bacon cooking and my beautiful brunette woman is there and you know, whatever, like She's down nice to you all the yeah, time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's not never going to be possible because I'm a jerk some of the time, but, um, uh, it's, it's not She's just every all feedback with loving kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Look, right. You're being a jerk right now. Yeah, yeah. I really love you, but, um, I'm just mad at the moment. Uh, but it's it's in that um, that's where you break through the upper limit is mm-hmm. you you build a new threshold of what's possible and see that, yourself there yeah and that has and you're okay with it yeah, yeah and also invoking the emotions of what it's like to have achieved that particular oh, milestone there's the vision board the cutouts. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly and and that's where. Um, you have to kind of get into why I mentioned Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton because those guys are working on the quantum level. And when you say the word quantum, anyone that's pragmatic and scientific is like bullshit, you know, because it's like, oh, it's quantum, you know, it brings in mind like, yeah, you're holding crystals to your head and you're going to be a millionaire. But there really is something called quantum physics, which is probably the highest level of science as we know it. And within that paradigm, you can manipulate reality, for lack of a better term, using intention, using emotion, and using visualization. But it's only going to work if you're able to identify the blocks within the subconscious that are limiting you from getting there. Yeah. So it's cleaning out the wreckage of all those little voices that say, you can't do it, you don't deserve it, etc. And only focusing on the gratitude and the possibility that, yes, I can. And this is... To me, this is like a spiritual practice. And the only thing that makes becoming wealthy or successful in the material plane worth it is to just heal the limiting beliefs and the trauma and the subconscious that tell you you can't do it. It's like, that's the purpose of getting rich. Right. right. It's just to be like, holy shit, 
I actually healed my consciousness enough and my mind enough. <laughs> or that's the, the most beautiful benefit as opposed to material consumption. Yeah. And then, that you're, you, you, and then you're sitting yeah. in that house with whatever your dream life looks like. But it's not that that house is making you happy or fulfilled or that dream life. It's that you've broken through the upper limit right. that has been set. Same with your same with your body, man. To t- take it away from materialism for a moment, if anyone yeah. if anyone's getting chapped, take care of yourself because you're you deserve it, right? <laughs> right and that's right. a you know that's a big disconnect for a lot of people, I think. And I think there's a disconnect at this level too, where uh, we think we want X goal. We think we want the three million dollar house. We think we want the uh, you know material success, but we don't really want it, and so we say, I wish I could have that too, but we, we don't really mean it. And we make disparaging comments perhaps when, it, when push comes to shove about people who have more than... you know, that The distribution of wealth in America is a huge economic problem and there's a lot to be criticized that, you know, that the, the wealth is held in the hands. You know, on the Democratic debates, they say the, the three richest men in America hold more wealth than the lower 50% of the population. And that's... Uh, most people would have an issue with that in terms of you know the, the health of the society at large, but I think if you catch yourself living a life you know living in a way that's incongruent with your with your deep beliefs, you're going to get stuck just like you get stuck on step one or step two that you just mentioned, and so yeah, maybe this is all you could ever dream of right now and be okay with that, and that's okay. But I don't want to be that guy caught in the middle. And I'm, I'm thinking back again to, you know, when I was an athlete, I stated that I wanted to be the best guy. And I wanted to be number one. I'll do whatever it takes to be number one. Blah, blah, blah. I'll tell all my sponsors and supporters that. And I, I had my best year. I was number three, which I was really proud of. And I, I reached my potential and all that. But there was a couple of forks in the road where I realized that I didn't really want to be number one and do all that it took to be number one and live that much of a you know, more focused, more insular lifestyle. It just, just wasn't me and it wasn't my destiny. And so to be okay with that and realize, hey, this is good enough where I am, that's pretty powerful too. But if we're... How many of us are just a few rungs below? Like Mark Sisson says, you know, putting another zero on your income is a good goal. And I think most people would be okay with, with that kind of goal. But to be deeply okay with it and understand what it means. And I like that idea of just seeing yourself there and being okay with it. Now we're getting somewhere, man. Yeah, well, if to me, the way I look at it is if I haven't learned how to be content wherever I am, no, yeah, no how ma- the hell are you going to get no there? No matter where I go, right. I'm going to bring that same... You're going to be that dickhead. Discontented, <laughs> unsatisfied right. person with me. Yeah. It's a, it's a consciousness thing, right? So yeah. that's what I'm saying. You, I'm a guy here who's like, oh God, this house sucks. Like, I'm not happy. I need a bigger house. You're going to put me there? I'm going to do the exact same thing right. because it's my character. It's in my character yeah. to uh, have that perception of my current reality, right? So the first thing that I have to work on is my consciousness right now and my perception of my current reality, which has to be like, oh my God, I've won the lottery of life, especially for me personally, having come from a place that, you know, my odds of having any kind of success in life were very low, uh, based on, you know, just, the beginning economics data from yeah, the, <laughs> the first, national you know, research. My start in life was, um, you know, I was handicapped quite a bit by some of those experiences. And, um, you know, I'd say that there's other people that were much more severely handicapped. But for me in my journey, 
been through some shit. And so I really am just so grateful and lucky to be alive and be right here and achieve whatever degree of success I'm having internally and externally. And I just have to really own that. And as I do, what I find is my my life in all areas keeps expanding. And as it expands, I sort of fill up that space with the gratitude to fit that particular level of achievement. You know, So when I was in my last apartment, I was building into my character a really grateful, um, thankful person. Until you found out about the cell tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F this. But then when I moved in here, I'm just like, wow, cool. We've yeah. moved up another level in terms yeah. of quality of life, I guess you could say. And yeah. I, it's not the end. I want a better quality of life even than this. But I have to first ground in the gratitude for what I have right here. Otherwise, I just know I'm going to get to the next level and bust my ass to get there and then be that guy who's still not satisfied there. Yeah. Or, or doors are going to be slammed in your face left and right. And you're going to yeah. burn bridges and do all that crazy shit that the desperate people do. Yeah. Um, Mia Moore was uh, trying to buy a car and, and you know she says, I want, I want dark gray. And the salesman's like, well, we have a white one. She's like, I don't want white. I want dark gray. Oh, well, white's really popular. And he's trying to talk her out of her direct you know, command. And those are the type of people that are going to go home with no sale because they're not, they're not in that position of yeah. gratitude to help someone realize their dreams. Like the great uh, uh, talent agents and real estate agents of the day are trying to help someone you know, realize their dreams. They're not in it to grind you know, a few bucks out of it. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's you got actually that, people? That's a, that's you a, got that. We got that actually, summary. Yeah, if anyone's in sales, like what you just said, <laughs> it's really important. How can I help? Well, yeah. you know, it's like um it's that again, I think the conversation here keeps going back to balance, but it's living your life in the art of allowing, which is more of the yin of just being receptive and allowing things to naturally come to you. And then the other side of that is the yang, you know, the pushing, forcing, working, making it happen, controlling. And that could also be described as the masculine and feminine energies mm. within all of us. And I think the really uh, the the goal there is to learn how to work within balance of those things because I have no problem just sitting on my ass all day long <laughs> and doing nothing and just being like, ah, it's all going to work out. The universe is on my side. I got a vision board in the drawer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I really like, I lean more on that side. Other people don't seem to see that. They're like, wow, you work hard. You're, you know, you put out so much content, do this. I feel like I don't get shit done every day. I'm just like, God, I feel like a chump. You know, I'm, have all these Compared goals. to Ben Greenfield or somebody. Yeah, well, Ben, he's a freak yeah. of nature. Yeah. His productivity level is just out of control um, in, in the best way. I have much admiration for his energy level and ability to get things done. Uh, but it's, you know, it's that allowing and then the pushing. And so finding um, a way to work with those energies where we put forth the effort. And then to me, where the allowing comes in is not being... Um, acknowledging that I'm not in control of the results of my labor. So like if for me, for example, I'm going to work really hard to make the best podcast I possibly can. And I'm, I'm really proud of the show that I do. And uh, it makes me feel really good when it helps other people and I get so much positive feedback. And I don't think I could do anything more to make that show better. I put all my heart into it. Then when I go on the iTunes you know, which is the kiss of death for your peace of mind if you're not careful. But I go on the iTunes, you know, the the ratings, right? The top 100 or whatever. And I see like, oh, yeah, there's Dave Asprey up there. There's Tim Ferriss. There's Rogan. You know, I'm just like, God damn it. I suck. You know, why am I number 98 out of 200 instead of number three, at least, you know? But see, that's getting in the results. 
which is fucking a it's a losing game. It's a trap. So cool. I can look on there and set my goal. I want to be number one in the health category, right? That's my goal. But that's not what I'm working toward. What I'm working toward is how can I make the best possible show that has the biggest impact? Just focus on what I can control, which is putting in the work. What I can't control is the results of that work. So the way I like to say it is staying out of the results business. I'm in the nose to the grindstone, produce um, produce is my job, whatever that happens to look like. But the efforts of that production aren't up to me. In other words, you know, till the soil, plant the crop, water, fertilize, you know, et cetera. But like the germination of those seeds is up to God. I'm just going to do everything I can to put in my ingredients and my part. And then whatever happens to the yield is not really up to me because you really can't control that. My, my podcast might never be in the top 10 and I'm just going to have to live with that. I hope it is. I might be able to manifest it because I can imagine what it's like and I can get rid of those voices that say, Luke, you're not, your show's not good enough to be up with Rogan and Ferris and all the, you know, the icons of the podcasting world. Um, and I can work on that, but it really doesn't matter. Like, it's just like, make every interview as badass right. as I can. Really yeah. put my heart and soul into what I do. And I might have 10,000 really rabid fans instead of 100,000 lukewarm fans. And that's, that's the way that it's meant to be. Yes. So... Yeah, interesting. I had no idea we we're going to go off on so much philosophy. Um, <laughs> that was big. Today, I also, but... I don't think a show would be complete without talking about our man, uh, John Gray, who oh, changed my life. I love John. In one hour. I, he, you've had him on like three times. Yeah. And, um, I've absorbed those shows so much. And, you know, I, I my podcast is pretty new and it, it, it's not a, it's not on the top 100. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I reached out to a guy like him because I was so captivated by his book. And he said, sure, I'll podcast with you. So that was like, you know, showing the character of a guy like that, the number one best-selling relationship author of all time. And we get on the screen there and he went so hard for an hour. You just wind up that that dial on his back and he just, you know, spewed the most life-changing advice. And, you know, I was compelled to propose to my girl the very next day at the, wow. at the baggage claim at Burbank Airport because really? I was just on this, you know, ah, that's I mean, amazing. he's describing the ideal partner yeah. and I'm thinking of Mia Moore. That's her nickname. She's on yeah. my show sometimes, but, um, you know, it was just a wonderful experience. So I want to hear about, you know, how he's influenced your perspective about relationships oh, man. and you know, hormone balance and things like that. I love John's work because... He's a deeply spiritual man. He's been meditating for 40 years. I think he, I just hung out with him uh, up, up in Northern California recently. We've kind of become buddies. And uh, he was telling me, I think he meditates like four hours a day or something. You know, I mean, he, he was the Maharishi's personal assistant. Right, like he yeah. comes from the world of like deep spiritual commitment. And um, so he's really a heart centered guy, but he also knows the science, you know, as you said, the hormones and stuff. So he's, He's such a great kind of model for me because he is well-rounded in the sense that he has the best of both worlds. Like he understands that there is a spiritual um, element of life and that that's really the core of it. But then you also have a body and that body has a certain set of hormones and that's going to affect how you interact with people of the same or opposite sex. I mean, it's really, you know, I, I would say his work is pretty heteronormative because of the fact that it's really dealing with male and female hormonal, you know, the endocrine system. Um, But he also deals with energetics of just masculine and feminine energy, which is of course kind of um, 
not so much yoked to your gender. You know, that's just to put it out there for people that are listening. Um, whereas some teachers that teach relationships, I think, are much more easy to translate into all kinds of different dynamics mm-hmm. of gender. Right? Where John's are, I think, he gets some flack, in fact, for being mm-hmm. a little, you know, old school, and that he's like, yeah, there's males and females, and this is how you get along. Um, but there's other teachers for people that are in different configurations of mm-hmm. relationship. What I love about John is that he's spiritual and he's scientific both in equal measure and he knows his shit on both sides. So coming at it from that, his intention is always love. Like how do we get back to love? How do we get back to understanding, to compassion, to empathy, to connection? And in so doing, he brings in the science to teach us how to understand the things that um, uh, lower certain hormones, certain behaviors and ways of feeling, acting, being, doing, and other behaviors that raise certain hormones. And when those get out of balance, the relationship gets out of balance. And so just for example, like such a brilliant takeaway from him in terms of the differences in genders is understanding the ways in which we communicate and that females are generally much more verbal than men and the way that they feel held, cherished, respected, honored is by really being given the space to communicate what their experience is by talking about it and how men typically, and there are exceptions, of course, I'm generalizing as he does, but you know, there are kind of rules of thumb, you could say. Uh, For me, as a male, when I'm say stressed out or really bothered, talking about my problems makes them so much worse. I don't want to fucking talk about what's bothering me. I want to go out to my Zen den, my little man cave in the backyard, be by myself, meditate, be silent, be still, think about my problem until I work it out. And once I've worked it out, then I can come talk to someone about it. Um, so just knowing in relationship, knowing the fundamental difference between me as a male that like I'm going to actually go into my feminine and raise my estrogen when I start talking about my problems. If make I go, it worse. Yeah, if I, yeah, and if I go out, it would make me more reactive, more combative, more conflict will ensue because I'm going to be agitated. But if I have time to just withdraw from a situation, especially a situation in which there's conflict in relationship, if I can withdraw and go really ground myself and get into my masculine, that raises my testosterone and allows me to come in and actually be more patient, still, understanding, compassionate, be able to listen, be able to hold my composure, be non-reactive and really hold space for the feminine who by their very nature, generally speaking, uh, lower their stress by talking about it endlessly, <laughs> you know, at times, right? Of just, you know, what's on your mind, hon? Well, where do I start? Boom. And you might be sitting there for a good hour and your job as a compassionate, loving partner as a man is to sit there and really attentively, caringly, listen to everything that they're going through without trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just one of, you know, literally hundreds of lessons I've learned from him. And I'll observe myself as, as a male, um, if, you know, even not in a romantic relationship, but just talking to a female, anytime they start talking about their problems, immediately my mm-hmm. mind's like, oh, I know what to do. You just need yeah. to... Dump that loser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I'm just like, oh, what's going on? Oh, no, here, take this supplement, do that, do yeah. that. And so... knowing that if I interrupt a woman and start trying to fix her problem uninvited, that's going to create stress for her. But your solution is so perfect. Exactly. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And so if I want to be helpful, what I need to do is just shut my mouth 
and really listen and be there and listen with my whole body. Not listen to get them to shut up because I don't want to hear about it, but listen in an expression of love and caring and receptivity and just allow them to get whatever they need to get out, whether it's directed toward me or not. Um, those That fundamentally alone, I think, can dramatically improve one's relationship um, because you understand the fundamental differences in the way that we relieve stress and how that affects our hormones. So knowing that I just need to go within, be quiet, then come out of my cave, then I can talk about it without getting stressed out. Because my partner might be like, dude, what the hell's wrong with mm-hmm. you? It's not really fair to be like, I'm never going to tell you. Uh, it can be shared, but that's only after I've worked out of it. And then really giving space and allowing a female partner to just fucking vent whatever they need to mm-hmm. vent and not try to stop them and not try to fix it. Unless and until they say, okay, I think I've got it all out. Thank you for listening. I feel so much better. Can you give me some feedback or help me fix my problem? Then I'm like, aha, I thought you'd never ask. Uh-huh. And then I can come in and... Maybe they start asking more when your relationship rises to that level. Right. And yeah. then I can come in and, you know, from a logical, hopefully pragmatic point of view or based on my experience or knowledge or expertise, say, ah, I know exactly what you should do. Maybe try this and try that to fix your problem. But if you do that unsolicited, that woman, Good luck. generally speaking, is going to feel very dishonored. Right. And hurt by that, you know? And so um, I just love John. I love that work. Uh, there's another guy, John Wineland, I've interviewed a lot. And he doesn't talk about the hormones and stuff. Um, he's all about the energetics of masculine feminine. Mm. He's a student of David uh, Data, Data, David Data, who wrote Way of the Superior Man. And um, their whole framework is really helpful also. Um, having said that, I would say in all areas of life, you know, I don't want to be hard on myself because I'm really doing my best. But in all areas of life, I would say um, romantic relationships have been the most elusive uh, part of life for me to kind of um, master or integrate. And that's largely because I never cared about that for most of my life. It's just, I was having fun doing my thing and I was working on my career, um, creativity, or just being free and just having fun and didn't really care about having a relationship. Over the past few years, as I've really started to see the value in that and have had some amazing experiences in relationship. And, um, you know, right now I'm single and those didn't work out, but um, I definitely have opened my heart much more and realized like, oh, that's kind of what life is all about is relationship and the ability to, to really unconditionally love someone and have them love you and to share that intimacy. And that's something I really deeply crave now. And when I've had experiences, the good parts of them that I've had, um, I just am like, oh my God, why, what have I been missing? You know, I've been missing this, what life's all about, which is human connection and love. And so um, I'm very keen to learn more about it. And the tricky thing I think about romantic relationships is I've mistakenly thought at times that the way you learn how to have a healthy relationship is by interviewing experts on how to do it (laughs) or listening to a million audiobooks and podcasts about like how to do a relationship. What I've learned is how you learn is by getting in one. And then applying whatever it is that you're learning. Right, whatever, under, what, under the fire, under, pr- under yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, it's just it's one of those things I thought, okay, I can hack this. I'm going to learn all the fundamental principles. I'm going to find the right person. It's like uh, Tom uh, Cruise and Magnolia, remember yeah, the, the, yeah. the seminars? Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Neuro-linguistic um, programming to... Totally. But it does your fork penetrate that fish well at, at dinner tonight? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I know about the NLP, the stuff from the, the pickup artist days. They used to talk about that. Um, you know, speaking of Neil Strauss, he wrote a book oh, yeah, called, right. a great book called The Game. So that's, you know, in terms of 
the the people that I've interviewed and stuff, those things are all great to learn, but they're they're an intellectual construct until one is in a relationship and then you try it out. But, but one thing that I it doesn't work because your 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 girlfriend's not evolved enough. Yeah, it doesn't Dang. it doesn't work if you're single. Yeah, it's you know, bullshit. <laughs> it's just it's just a construct of understanding. But one thing I have learned, and this came from early addiction recovery, is that um, intellectual understanding of your problem does fuck all to fix it. You have to have principles or truths that guide you to a solution, but you have to apply those truths. Otherwise, they're worth nothing. It's, And I think in the Bible, they say faith without works is dead, right? Like you can have all the faith if you want, but if you don't take action based on that faith and based on the wisdom that you've been able to attain in life, then nothing changes. And so in relationship, I'm seeing, ah, each relationship is an opportunity to take those teachings and those truths and actually apply them in real time and learn how to work with them and um, activate them so that they're a living part of of who I am. And so, right now, I'm excited about my my future and the prospects of of that because I'm very clear on what I want um, and what I have to offer. You know, and I'm finally getting to the point where I realize I do have a lot to offer. I mean, I've got shit I'm still working on, of course, but I'm looking forward to being able to find the right the right partner and apply some of the things that I've learned, knowing that you know the real work begins once you're in partnership. Having a PhD in the understanding, you know, in the mechanics of relationship does shit for you if there's no one there to kind of, you know, who's willing to work with you in that way also. I think that's important is having a partner that's aligned and that their life is, you know, in essence about the same thing, which in my particular case is about my own evolution and growth. And I see that it, it's it's not um, probably... Um, uh, probably wouldn't work to try and be with someone who didn't have that same right. goal or mindset. You know, I think that's exciting if you have someone that also likes to work on themselves individually and is about their own growth and evolution, and then you can come together rather than codependent. You mean, yeah, yeah. And then you, yeah, <laughs> I've been with that, I've done that a lot. Uh, and you, you can come together where you both work it on yourselves, and then you have this other entity, which is this relationship, and you get to work on that. That to me sounds really fun. And I have had some experience with that. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with all that stuff. But um, it is kind of for me, the next frontier. It's the thing where I'm like, oh shit, I've, I've managed to really be successful in so many uh, ways in my life that I feel really good about and kind of have sorted out. But that one is still a bit mysterious. Yeah. It's probably the <laughs> toughest challenge. So I guess so. Put it on your vision board, man. Yeah. This maybe, is... maybe like that's the thing you just start with, you know, which some people do. I noticed that some people like marry successfully and smartly and they do it young and then they kind of build their life on that. And yeah. I feel like mine is almost backwards. I've built a life and then yeah, at almost 50, I'm like, oh yeah, it's probably a good idea to add someone else into this and share this experience right. that I've that I'm created for that. Yeah, with someone yeah. else. So we'll see how that goes. Luke's story. Way to finish up. Very exciting. Thanks. Thank dude. you so much. Great show. Thanks everybody watching. Thank you for thanks, having Cookie, that. for hanging out. Yeah, thanks for asking me to have a chat, man. I you know what? I find it really fun to do guest spots on other people's shows because um when I'm interviewing people, I'm just like absorbing information. And sometimes I don't even realize what it is that I'm learning from that experience until I get to kind of do, listen to your show. Yeah, do, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to do. I don't release the mind anymore, but I, yeah. when I'm interviewed by someone else, I get to do more talking and kind of I'm cut loose from the tethers of having to shut myself up as the yeah. host. And I can just kind of like, woo. And then I realize, like, wow, man, I've learned a lot. This is yeah. cool. 
Oh, no, it's great. It's great experience. I appreciate it very much. Me too. Yeah, right on. Keep it up. Thanks, brother. Dun, 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 dun. All right, thanks for tuning in, folks. 